I see basically three key drivers to our expansion. One is, yeah, geographic expansion. The second is kind of service expansion. And the third is probably expansion in pets, right? Right now we are dogs, cats, but as the name suggests, yeah, we want to expand into kind of other pet areas. Basically, the key task of a marketplace is to match supply and demand for me as efficiently as possible. And I think through the use of big data, analysis, et cetera, we could actually improve massively on what we have now just by improving our search results, basically almost tailored matching for a user. Welcome to the Platform Pioneers, a show about the bright minds behind the world's largest digital platforms and the stories of how they built them. I am your host, Kuros, and together we'll uncover the secrets behind creating, scaling, and managing some of the most successful platforms out there. Welcome back to the Platform Pioneers podcast. Today, we're joined by Nicholas Latham, the founder of PetBnB. PetBnB is an online marketplace for pet owners to find local pet sitters. And before founding PetBnB, Nicholas worked as the Senior Director of Global Business and Vice President of Marketing at Uship the world's first and probably largest shipping marketplace. Nicholas, uh, without further ado, maybe introduce yourself uh, to the audience and share a bit um, about your journey and experience at Uship and what made you co-found PetPNB. Sure. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for having me, Sirosh. So yeah, I, uh, well, my first, we say, online experience was pre-Uship. I worked at a sort of a classified marketplace in South America. And I think that was a very good learning experience for all things marketplaces um for family reasons moved back to europe joined uship which at the time was you know it's i don't know for those that don't know uship it's basically it started off as kind of a yeah peer-to-peer -peer shipping marketplace sort of taking advantage of unused capacity on vans so for example imagine you're moving from one city to the next you're taking your stuff your van's full on the way there on the way back it's empty and so the idea was you know make use of that empty capacity through a marketplace model where people could find great prices to deliver their goods started off in the us and i joined to kind of you know grow the global operations so mainly europe but also some south american markets my title was yeah senior director of global business operations i mean we were kind of a sort of small startup satellite office here based out of here in, in amsterdam and it really had a kind of a, a startup-y feel i think we were at the beginning maybe 10 people and the idea was to kind of you know look at the model the the, the product which was working in the us how could we adapt it to markets in Europe and, and, and the rest of the world. It was interesting because yeah, categories which were kind of the lifeblood of the platform in the US weren't necessarily as big in, in Europe. For example, car shipping, a lot of the business of U-Ship in the US was car motorcycle shipping. Amongst consumers, that didn't really happen in Europe. So it was like looking at, okay, which categories are working in the US, let's try and do those. But if they don't work here, what, what are you know categories that we can focus on, grow those and maybe Uh, you know, eventually get the business to the same level as, uh, as the US. I guess my remit was quite large from, yeah, just growing the individual markets, but that could, you know, touch on anything from marketing, maybe product suggestions and just, you know, down to down kind of managing metrics, KPIs, that kind of stuff. While at Uship, I mean, yeah, I've, I've basically had, I think since my first experience, the marketplace bug. So I've, I've, I'm pretty much obsessed with marketplaces. I love the way they work, uh, the value they provide to you know, both sides. And while I was there, one of my colleagues actually here 
uh, you know, whenever it was sort of vacation time, he had pets. Uh, so this is sort of moving on to how, I guess, Pet B&B came into uh, existence. And there was always, whenever it was sort of holiday time, that difficulty of, oh, I, you know, I can't take my pet with me. I'm struggling to find someone. Kennels, yeah, don't really like the idea. They just don't, you know, don't feel right. Friends and family, yeah, I've relied on them a bit too much. You know, how many times can you ask the person to look after your, your dog? So that sort of planted a bit of a seed of, okay, something, you know, uh, something is happening. There's a problem here that, that more than my colleague, I guess, could experience. At the same time, I would say while at should yeah, also to kind of, you know, hone my skills, should we say, I, I did dabble in lots of sort of side projects myself. Um, so sort of to test out different marketing channels, how would this thing work? How would the other thing work? Uh, so one of the, the things I dabbled in was kind of viral blogging. You know, there was a, a time on socials where, you know, every second post you would see was a viral story. And a lot of those revolved around pets. So you could see there was like a, there's a huge, I guess, love of pets everywhere <laughs> combined with this kind of existing problem and the desire to found a marketplace. I ended up actually with that colleague starting Pet B&B, which is a marketplace which addresses that exact problem. So we had a ready-made kind of, you know, marketing channel in terms of socials, uh, which was a very much a facilitator to kind of growth and we had a real problem and we had marketplace knowledge. So it was time to take the jump and, uh, and pet BNB was born. So, I mean, that's, that's extremely interesting, and, but it's, it's a, a story, a Genesis uh, that I've yeah. heard of quite a couple of, of founders, like hey, seeing a, a mismatch in the market or seeing like a huge pain point of, um, of supply and demand that didn't really match. When you think back at the beginning of Pet BNB, and, and I've heard that from many platform marketplace founders, what was the biggest struggle? Was it more getting supply on the marketplace? Was it more getting the demand or trying kind of like marketing to get, to get demand on? How, how did you approach uh, the very beginning of a marketplace? Sure. So for us, it's yeah, that you had to have supply. Otherwise, you have no, no marketplace. So, you know, everyone talks about the chicken and the egg. I think for most marketplaces, supply is where you start. And to be honest, supply was not really a problem. You know, we had experience running ads. I mean, we are also in a category where getting people to sign up you know if you're offering people the chance you're signing up to look at, to get paid to look after pets that is not a difficult sell it was much harder should we say in you know if we ran the same campaign at you ship like you know social sign up to kind of transport other people's goods you lack that kind of emotional touch so with pets you're already ahead of ahead of the curve in terms of how that you know getting getting that supply in Demand was harder. First of all, there's, there's like a huge trust element. I mean, this is like for most people, their pet is like part of their family. So you are kind of committing. You're basically trusting someone else who, especially at the beginning, you know, if you can imagine your first few sitters on the platform, all you have is a profile. There's no reviews. There's just a description of this person. So no one else has tried this out. You are effectively the kind of the guinea pig. And especially with, you know, pet and that kind of emotional connection, the shift to try to get those people to do that is harder. So at the beginning, the start was slow. We had supply, but we didn't quite have demand and we had to work hard to acquire that demand. And what we did, you know, we tried various things. A lot of it was, yeah, uh, online marketing, Google, uh, effectively ads, 
looking for alternative to say kennels, find someone to sit your dog. So it was also getting the right kind of message across in those ads to kind of get to then drive the person to the site. And then through the site, we had a website at the beginning, you know, um, build that kind of trust faced trust through there. So what are the signals that I, as a user, when I land there, I want to know, Hey, who are these people who signed up? What is the process? Are they vetted? Uh, is there any kind of check? Do they have experience sitting pets before those kind of signals, which will lead to you as a, uh, as a pet parent, uh, to eventually send a request and book with that person. So yeah, so, uh, demand, it was there, but it's basically, you're almost like building a slightly new category and, and, and that's what takes time. Uh, and that probably took yeah. more time than we maybe anticipated to start with. And, and I mean, that's an extremely interesting point that you're touching on. It's actually trust, yeah. trust in marketplaces. It's, yeah. uh, such a critical, a critical item that, that I've discussed with, with a lot of, um, uh, marketplace founders and, and officials also, obviously from a pain's perspective is, um, Hey, is that that merchant let's put it this way, it's legit. Yeah. Is yeah. there any fraud, uh, any illegal activity happening here yeah. in a, at a service marketplace? It seems different. You yeah. mentioned a couple of, of items. How did you try to ensure trust? Uh, how did you kind of like, like try to convey that in the service industry? Sure. sure. I mean, so what, what we would try to do is you're trying to, I guess, de-risk it, should we say, for want of a better word, as much as possible so that the, the person who's trying to book that service feels like the risk is as low as possible. So we did add some kind of, you know, one of the, the things that we had at the beginning was kind of like insurance in the event that if something goes wrong, your pet falls, you know, sick or, or maybe it doesn't really happen. But, you know, if it gets injured during the sitting or whatever, there's insurance coverage there. Um, but a lot of it also came down to our process for getting kind of pet sitters to sign up. So, for example, if you sign up as a pet sitter on Pet B&B, I would say our, our form is quite long and we do it kind of intentionally so just to extract as much information about your experience and actually your desire for doing this as much as possible. We don't also put you live automatically. We review every, every profile which is signed up. We manually review it and we don't put everyone live. We put, I think, about one in seven, one in eight profiles live. And we look at key things. I mean, we read every description very carefully and we do have things which, you know, are kind of, should we say, red flags for us. So if someone in their description, for example, says, hey, yeah, I'm short of a bit of cash. This is a great way for me to earn money. For us, that's kind of a no-no because what we're looking for is actually the quality, which makes a good sitter is like, you know, people who actually love it. what we want to come through from the profile. And I think right now only really a human can judge that is the love for pets. And they do this because of that. Sure. It, it involves, um, you know, it's work looking after a pet is not, it's not that you just sit there in your house and you, the pet just roams around and does whatever. No, uh, dogs need attention. They need walks. Cats also need to clean the litter. Uh, there is working quite, so you should be paid for it. But at the same time, I think the primary motivator should be yeah, the love and desire for pets. And that's what we find. And that's what we look for in the profiles before we put them live. And, and actually, that's then what uh, you as a pet parent, when you see that profile, that comes across the likelihood of you, of course, clicking and, and, and contacting this person to book is much higher. So a lot of it is kind of like manual checks behind the line. 
Having said that, also, once someone is live, we continuously monitor their performance. So we look at statistics, we look at the reviews which come back. And actually, if we see performance which is not good, we remove people's profiles from search or, or remove them from the platform entirely. Um, but we also adjust their ranking in our search according to performance and according to you know feedback. And, and I would say yeah, 40, 50 factors are taken into account there to kind of judge quality. But what, what you would say, I think for me, the key in any marketplace is I would say quality of supply. That basically makes sure. or breaks your marketplace. And if you have the more abundance of that you have, the better. Yeah, I, I mean, f fully agree. And, and that's such a, a critical a critical factor. When you look at the product mm -hmm. when you started yeah. uh, to, let's say, the range of, um, of features, products that you are, that yeah. you are um, offering now, how did, it, how did it develop? In which direction did you take that marketplace? Sure. Um, so, I mean, when we first launched uh, as a, it was effectively, yeah, we call it pet BNB. We knew we wanted to go into other pets, but effectively it was dog BNB. Cities could sign up and have two services, doggy daycare and dog boarding. Over time, I mean, we knew there was, you know, walking and other services there, but especially being at the beginning, the, the main pain points tend to be, I think, vacation time or, you know, during, during work hours, etc. So we focused on those two services. And I think it was a good idea in terms of you're getting to understand the needs of the users and actually, you know, improving those products. We look a lot at sort of customer feedback. You know, I actually spend a lot of time looking at customer support tickets, not necessarily to solve the problems, but to understand the issues that people are having with the product and, and, and improvements we can make. So I think that's a, a very powerful user voice. And we use those insights to kind of evolve the product. Over time, that's what that's what happened. And we saw yeah, desire for, so we say, dog walking and also other pets. And so we added those. Uh, so dog walking, we added, we've added two more services called drop-in visits uh, and house sitting, where it's more the sitter comes to your home, either uh, stays overnight with house sitting and looks after your pets while they're there, or with drop-in visits, it's more and geared towards cats where the, the person comes, changes the cat later, makes sure plays a, 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 for half an hour, spends time with, with the cat or the dogs uh, in the house, changes the litter, gives them water, food, that kind of stuff. So it was more through, you know, users. I mean, we had these ideas, but it was more when we heard users asking more and more, hey, can you add this or can you add that? That we started to actually say, okay, you know, the voice is there. Let's start adding rather than kind of just adding on our own. And we see that with more services coming in the future as well. You know, just, just looking at the feedback we have and what people are asking for, we're actively developing other services, which we'll be launching in the near future. And, and is that something, if you think about ex expansion, mm -hmm. uh, basically, yeah. um, at UShip, but also at, at Pet yeah. yeah. uh, is expansion for you more adding features products? Is expansion going to be or, or have been in the past, um, as it was at UShip, yeah. geographical expansion? Yeah. Can expansion be something like adding, I would say, almost alien uh, services like finance and yeah. you name it? Like, how do, how do you think about that? I think all three are viable methods of expansion and they all have their challenges. I think the first two are probably the easier, should we say, two methods of expansion in terms of your more in your wheelhouse. So geographic expansion is, okay, effectively what you're trying to do is copy paste the strategy and the product that you have in one country into another. Now, as yeah, we learned at UShip, should we say, 
yeah, the, the, the dynamics of the different categories per country can be different. Service expansion as well is, yeah, you're just building on the existing infrastructure. Uh, so in terms of expansion, I think of those two first before I think of things like adding finance or maybe adding insurance or adding an e-commerce or something like that. I mean, the long-term vision, of course, of Pet B&B for us is like, we don't want to be just a kind of a transactional marketplace. We want to be more of a community and actually, yeah, a one-stop shop if possible uh, for the needs of your pets. So that could cover anything from, you know, information to food, to insurance, to pet care as we, as we have now. Uh, but I think that's a long-term plan. And I think especially when you go into areas which are, outside your core so you know the addition of for our, we are services services is our core and i think once you move out into things like you know e-commerce yeah i don't know much about uh what i i know enough but can i compete with zoo plus can i compete with amazon is it something we should build or build or buy right i mean should you just integrate it as part of a just become a reseller for one of those the same with insurance so i think it's really about those are things that i think of should we say towards the end of the kind of expansion process of pet BNB? Because it's that at that point is how can you potentially generate more revenue out of your existing uh, user base, right? You have them. Okay, what can you add on? But our core will always be, I think, services. And yeah. I think I essentially think of yeah services and geographic expansion first before I think of adding those other things. Yeah, I mean, makes makes uh, total sense. It's also. Like kind of like, like getting that profit from the core is probably more proven method um, yeah, to yeah. do it. You have after kind of like um, launching in, yeah. in the Netherlands also yeah. launched a new market with Germany. Yeah. How do you see these two two markets? Are they similar? Is it is it a blueprint for maybe a European expansion? Because uh, pet owners seem to be very similar in every yeah. country. Yeah. Or are they different? That, that will be probably interesting to see in here. So there's some interesting insights, I think, from the beginning that we had in Germany. So, for example, acquiring pet sitters, I would say, in terms of the messaging that we put across in our advertising, we've seen that in Germany, it works a bit different. The message that works better for us in Germany didn't work in the Netherlands so well and a bit vice versa. So in the Netherlands, to start with, for example, to get pet sitters to sign up, we push a lot the emotional side of things. So, you know, pictures of... Yeah, cute pets, like, would you like to look after me? People's hearts kind of melted and signed up. In Germany at the beginning, that didn't work so well. I don't know if it's cultural or not, but what, what mm -hmm. tended to work a bit better was kind of, you know, make it sound a bit like a side job in the ads. Mm -hmm. And that had a bit of initial traction. I'm still convinced, however, that the emotional... <laughs> thing is still a trigger. And I think that's part of our, you know, our brand per se as well. We want it to be a community. So we are reworking um, things. We are reworking those ads to try and get them more successful. I would say, I mean, especially in the kind of marketplace that we are. So we are local services marketplace. Every market is you are starting from scratch. So if you take the example of say Airbnb, when Airbnb launches a new country, it already has the people searching for property. Uh, you know, a vacation home, they're already there. You've just added one more destination for them to search. In the case of local services, you don't have that. You have to actually find both sides again. Sure, there's like maybe three, four percent of people who have used it in the Netherlands, moved to Germany, use it there. But your core is actually you're rebuilding from scratch. And that is, I think, as you look at that, 
you have to be conscious again of the timeline that it takes to build it. I think, especially in a kind of a, um, a local services market, it's either, you know, you either have to throw a lot of money about it, but you also have to be patient as well. And I think with, you know, entrepreneurially, you tend to kind of gloss over maybe with hindsight, how long things actually took and how tough the initial journey was. And, and you know, in my head, it's a bit like, oh, in the Netherlands, it all got up, up and running really quickly. And it's only when I speak to my wife and she tells me, you know, are you crazy? You've kind of forgotten half the things that, have, that you had to go through to actually kick it off there. So it, it's about being patient, discovering, doing step by step. For us, you know, being local services, it's kind of city by city that we go so we're not launching the whole of germany at the same time it, it doesn't kind of make sense what you want for us is kind of build a big uh, city so berlin munich frankfurt build supply up there get the marketplace going there and then gradually expand to the rest of the, the country and i would say one of the big differences there is also the demographics of germany are very different to the netherlands the netherlands is very kind of densely populated germany has bigger cities with with bigger pockets in between so that you also have to be conscious of when you enter a new market yeah indeed you would think probably when just listening to it that these markets are very very uh, similar but if yeah. you look at the details it, it actually is quite a bit of uh, of difference yeah if you maybe then kind of like put on the binoculars mm -hmm. like uh, five to ten years from now yeah, yeah. how do you see pet long-term strategy Is it expand other countries? Like what's on your on your priority list, so to speak, when, sure. when you think long term? Yeah. I mean, expansion in other countries is I see basically three key drivers to our expansion. One is yeah, geographic expansion, the second is kind of service expansion, and the third is probably expansion in pets, right? Right now we are dogs, cats, but as the name suggests, yeah, we want to expand into kind of other pet areas. What we look at primarily is You know, when we're looking at pets was, okay, what are the relative pet populations and what are the kind of care needs of the relative pets? So dogs, we started with because dogs probably require the most attention and they're, you know, you can offer the most services for them. Cats generally tend to have higher populations in the different uh, countries, but their care needs are, they're not as intensive, should we say, as, as dogs. Most cats Although I, I know there are exceptions, you know, you don't take them for a walk. And a lot of the time the care is feed, uh, stroke, play with a bit, change, uh, you know, the, the litter and things like that. But it's less intensive. And that's what we need to look at the different kind of pet categories, what kind of fits in there. And I think it, at some point it also becomes a, a UI, UX exercise, right? You want to make your product, you want to offer things, but also keep it simple. Geographic expansion, definitely. And for us, it's like, okay, we are clearly, we look at markets in terms of, as you said, pets, populations are great everywhere. And the needs, I think generally of pet parents are similar in different markets. But I think what we look at as well is, okay, there is competition. We're not the only player in the space, but when I look at competition, competition for me is also, is there an established brand in that market? If there's not an established brand in that market, I know I can out, compete with them definitely on marketing and on product. And for me, that market is still kind of open. If there is a brand, yeah, then it's a lot harder. Think of, again, to raise the example of Airbnb, if you were to try and launch a kind of a, a vacation rentals today, yeah, most people know the brand. Uh, it's going to be very tough for you. 
And in terms of services as well, you know, obvious things that we can add are things like training, stuff like that. But I think a lot of it, I mean, going also adding the binoculars, I think there's also advances in data, things like that, which I think will provide us with insights maybe that we don't have before in terms of needs, uh, things like that. And I think basically the key task of a marketplace is to match supply and demand for me as efficiently as possible. And I think through the use of big data analysis, et cetera, we could actually improve massively on what we have now just by improving our search results and, and basically almost tailored matching for a user. I think one of the biggest friction points is, well, if you think of the ideal product in this case, you would enter your dog uh, you'd, or your cat, add all the details, and the first match that you get in our search results would be the perfect sitter for you. And you would carry on booking that person again and again and again and again. Okay, producing that perfect answer is difficult. You know, not even Google these days still doesn't give you a, an answer. It gives you a list. But if you imagine that for for us, uh, that is where we're aiming to get to. I think the only way we can get to that basically is through the use of data to basically optimize profiles per person. I think with the evolution of things like AI and, and big data, et cetera, we're at a point where you can start to work on getting to that. So I think beyond those three pillars of services, pets, geography, I think there's also a lot of growth to come from improvements using technology and data on the existing product. Amazing. Because first of all, thank you so much. These were such uh, great insights on how really building a service marketplace, which is, um, I think there's more and more upcoming. We have a lot of, I would say, goods and delivery marketplaces, but service marketplace is really a, a different a different animal, so to speak. It was amazing uh, chatting to you, getting insights on how to build and scale a service marketplace. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. See you, Rush. <laughs>